0: Shohei Otani is a Dodger. Jung-Hoo Lee is a Giant. We don't know where Yoshinobu Yamamoto is headed, but we do know that this is the K-Rodge podcast. Kerry Crowley, Roger Munter, back with you discussing all things Giants baseball. Roger, Otani to the Dodgers. What do you think?
1: Oh, we're starting with the agony. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I feel a lot better today than when we originally scheduled this program a couple of days ago. You know, the last time we spoke, last week, I think one of the last things I said was, I don't believe Otani the Giants is yeah. a possibility. I have never been believed it. I've always like, stop talking Otani. Even so, when I saw the news, I remember thinking, God, it's like we're back in 2018 with Giancarlo Stanton. And, and, and I literally thought, it's like we're back in the 70s again. And I, you know, I grew up in a town that was literally split between the Bay Area and LA like Fresno did Giants broadcast and Bakersfield did Dodgers and let me tell you in the 70s there were not a lot of Giants fans outside of our family there were a lot of Dodgers fans and they made me feel bad and I'm still mad about that and I did flash back to that, that experience that night it was just deflating um, and I'm sure it was deflating as much inside as outside as we saw from that great piece that uh,
0: Andy Baggerly did today um, I don't know what was your initial reaction when you saw it I, I don't want to say it was surprised because I thought he was going to the Dodgers all along, but the Friday Blue Jays wrinkle where you know <laughs> there was the plane being tracked and, and baseball Twitter was just in a chaotic state that maybe we'd never seen before. It gave me the thought that maybe this isn't a done deal with the Dodgers. <laughs> and so I don't know that I, I want to say I got my hopes up because I, I always felt like the Dodgers were probably the leading team all along. But I think that It gets worse for Giants fans when you hear that it's actually not ten years, seven hundred million. And I know, like, (laughs) it's still being valued as a four hundred and thirty something million dollar contract by Major League Baseball, and uh, the cap hit or the CBT hit is still going to be forty six million, which is a record setter. But you would have liked the Dodgers to have to pay a little bit more for Shohei (laughs) Ohtani than what they're paying right now, right? I I will tell you that as
1: soon as the whole shark tank guy getting on the plane stuff, I'm like, now it seems like a good time to do housework. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just sweep and and vacuum. And I I recommend that for everybody on one of those days when (laughs) Twitter zaniness is reaching, uh, higher and higher levels. I want, I really want to ask you, uh, Carrie Crowley, San Francisco native, uh, (laughs) about the narrative that keeps popping up more and more and more. And again, in the the piece uh, that Annie did on The Athletic Today, I think Buster Posey addressed it as, as perfectly as you can. It's like, whether it's fair or not, perception is reality or it drives reality. It makes reality. That perception is clearly being amplified. How do you, as a as a hometown guy, respond or 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 react when you hear this story come out all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, Roger, I've wrestled with this a lot over the last five, six, seven years, probably when I made the decision to first move home to San Francisco after spending six years in Phoenix. And then I think it was the next five years in San Francisco. And now, of course, I'm on the East Coast and looking at the way that people perceive the city and really not just baseball, but how everyone in the United States perceives the city. And I think of it as the most beautiful place on the planet. Like I was born there, raised there, moved back there. I think it doesn't get better than San Francisco. And I always said that on a traveling Major League Baseball beat where I was fortunate to visit all these cities. And I made it a point to stay close to the ballpark in every town because I worked for a newspaper at the time that had a travel budget to get me there. But I didn't have a budget to uh, take Ubers all across the city <laughs> or eat fancy meals out. It was basically like, you know, if you can go to Chipotle and turn that into two meals today, that's going to work for you. So I always wanted to stay close to the ballpark in these cities. And I really think like being on the waterfront in San Francisco, which you can do is just sensational. There, there's nothing like it. And then you have to square it with the national perception. And maybe a little bit of it is coming locally now, too, that It's not a desirable place. And look, San Francisco's got its problems. i would be the first one to admit I'd like to see a ton of change in the city. But I also think that if you're a major league baseball player evaluating your future, and you're gonna sign a contract in excess of say, I don't know, a couple million dollars a year, those problems are not your problems. You're living outside the city and or you're living in a uh, high security high rise. Uh, those problems that you know the average San Franciscan deals with are, are not impacting you on a day-to-day basis. And it's not stopping you from living the glamorous lifestyle that you envision for yourself in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, cities that also have some similar issues. And so it's hard, but I do also understand because like, my perception of the city as the most beautiful place on the planet is not how other people see it. And I think that the way that Buster Posey characterized it to Bags in that article was, it was very well said. Perception is reality. And unfortunately, regardless of which news sources you pay attention to or what you see on social media, I think there are a lot of people who just feel like it's, if you're not on the inside, it's not as desirable a place as it once was. And so at the end of the day, I think that money's going to talk and you're still going to be able to get the players like a jung Hu Lee if you if you pay uh, a premium. And so I don't think it's going to impact more than a handful of guys, but maybe those handful of guys are the guys that the Giants have tried to land in recently. <laughs> you know, maybe it is an Otani an Aaron Judge, and I think Bryce Harper was going to be willing to come to San Francisco. I just don't think the Giants made him the top it off. Get the number, that's right. That's just a long way of saying, I don't think it makes as big of a difference as – People are making it out to be, and that's not to say that it won't continue to hurt the Giants in these pursuits. Or uh, you know, I part of me thinks just if you're the Giants, hire a PR firm that can tell you to highlight the best the best parts of the city in your pitch. You know, like spend yeah. that you, right. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, whether
1: it, it's hard to talk people out of their fears or 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 misapprehensions no matter what those are so but they are going to have to think of a strategy that helps offset it and whether that's you know not just being an oracle but going out to you know a burrito place somewhere in town and, and like getting around and seeing the city yeah. as part of their pitch uh at some way or another they're they're going to need to and and not just the player it was interesting that buster mentioned players wives too
0: because
1: <laughs> yeah. that's a big part of the comfort factor so yeah somehow or another they're going to need to address that in the future i think and and Hopefully, as Buster said, they'll come out of their, their slump at some point and start hitting 300.
0: I I mean, I, when was the first time Buster started to recruit in free agency? Because I think he's 0 for, 0 he's for, 0
1: for a lot. Buster, Buster <laughs> is a much worse recruiter than he is a hitter. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. I mean, it feels like you're sending, uh, you know, uh, gosh, Mac Williamson up to the plate right there. <laughs> he looks like he should be the guy, but he doesn't really deliver. So no offense. Okay.
1: So, despite the fact that the Dodgers have this land of giants lineup, uh, I still come back to what we said last week, which is that there is a counter punch, and the counter punch is pitching and run prevention. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the Dodgers' rotation is almost missing an action right now. So, beating them into that punch, I still think is a strategy to being competitive. Um, and and so, a couple of days later, we hear now incredible reports that Jung Hoo Lee, who we knew the Giants were on, has being signed and brought in, which I think is a fantastic first step. Um, and I have a, a bunch of thoughts on this, but I'm just going to get yours first. Kind of what what's your response to the signing? Uh, well, I'm Jung-Hu
0: I'm this? so glad that you said first step because to me that's what it is. Like yeah. getting Jung Hoo Lee to San Francisco is a major move. If it's the first of many moves. Because he is potentially a table setter at the top of the order if his contact skills translate to Major League Baseball, and a lot of scouts think they will. He's got tremendous plate discipline, which is what you want, at the top of the order. And he solidifies a position that has just been a a black hole for the Giants for so long. Center field at Oracle Park and in the National League West. They've never had consistency. They've struggled forever. I mean, Gary Brown was supposed to be the center fielder (laughs) more than a decade ago. You know, Gary Brown's going to be a general manager before he's ever the center fielder of the San Francisco Giants. And so I just, I love the signing for so many reasons, but you and I both know it can't just end here. This does give them other avenues though, Roger, to really upgrade the roster, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh,
1: and 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 let me follow on that. But first, I, I will say there's a bunch of different things. So let me really fast go through things I like about this signing. I like that they were bold and they didn't get into this sort of we're in the finalist stage. It seems to me like they went and topped the mark and said, here, here's a big bonus on top of whatever your market is. Sign with us now. And he did. So I like that they were bold and they got the guy they liked. I really, really love that with Lee signing, you have a 25-year-old center fielder, a 25-year-old catcher, a 22-year-old shortstop, and a 27, 28-year-old second base. Can you think of any time in your Giants falling history where they had an entirely 20-something up the middle?
0: I can say... Buster- think- I can think of the outfield that was like a 38-year-old Bonds, a 40-year-old Steve <laughs> Finley, and like a, you know, well, like a 39-year-old Reggie Sanders at the time. <laughs> I mean, you can think about all the guys over 35 that Brian Sabian just planted in left field and said, go get it. Uh, but this has got to be the most exciting young core. And that's that's a great reason to sign Jung Hu Lee, is because he is not coming over to the United States as someone who's past his prime. He's coming over as someone who is about to enter his prime, who, in theory, his best days as a baseball player should be ahead of him. If he recovers from this injury that took him out the second half of the KBO season, if he regains his speed, if the contract skills translate, it's all going to work out for a guy who maybe it's not a $113 million player, but a 25-year-old center fielder is something the Giants would have loved to have had at any point over the last, what, Two, 30, three years. 30 years. I mean, when was the <laughs> last time the Giants felt really good about a young center fielder in the organization? Chili Davis. Exactly. That's, that's the answer. And he wasn't particularly a center
1: fielder. He was yeah. just, you know, he could hit. But really, that is the answer. Um, and I like the last time you had anything like it really goes back to Bob Melvin when he was the backup catcher, you know, teaming with like Robbie Thompson and Jose Uribe and, and, uh, and Chili Davis. I mean, that's the last, you have to go back to like 40 years, 35 years to find something like this and just old and slow up the middle has been such an issue for this team for so long. We make such a, a, a big deal of the left field streak, but all three outfield positions have been just a revolving door of old yeah, we're a long, long, long time, and it's going to be really refreshing to see all of these guys. I just wrote this uh, in a piece I'm going to put up tomorrow. Uh, all wow. of these guys have uncertainty, but it's not the uncertainty of decline, which is what you've been dealing with for years at these spots. Um, and uh. So I'm really excited about that. I also really like about Lee that his skill set is different. Yes. Because I do believe that diverse skill sets make a more resilient, more robust club. Um, You know, it's okay to have sluggers and strikeouts, but not nine of them. And you mix in some of these contact guys like Lee and maybe a Matos, maybe a Meckler uh, along with the JD Davises and, and Lamont, you know, Wade's on base percentage. And now you start building a club that can score in a variety of
0: ways so i think that's a really useful thing I, I wonder roger now that lee is a board or in theory a board he's got to pass the physical and it's an ankle issue so you know <laughs> uh, there's no guarantees and no, pending that? physical <laughs> but what you see is like the next domino here or, or what are the potential dominoes that can come out of this signing because there's a whole world of possibilities you know they could double down on pitching they could trade some of their young outfielders or some of their veteran outfielders. Like what makes sense to you is the best path forward?
1: Absolutely. It is pitching, pitching, pitching. Um, And and obviously we know they met with Yamamoto this week, and that's going to be tough because both New York teams are in it. The Dodgers are in it. Everybody wants this guy. So you're going to have to go, you know, to the mattress. But at the same time, we're hearing stories about the Dodgers trying to get Tyler Glass. No, um, you know, Corbin Burns is out there. Blake Snell is out there. One guy, I don't think, does it. I think it's get me two top guys and fill in around that. I would not even be satisfied with just Yamamoto personally. I'm like, you have to create a Death Star of pitching uh, to compete in this rotation in this uh, division right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the Giants under Bob Melvin should do something different than what they did under Gabe Kapler, which was. We're going to use all 26 players on the roster to win a game on any given day. And, you know, on bullpen days, we're going to use nine different pitchers, give you all the different arm angles. And at the end of the day, we're going to suppress your runs. We're going to scratch you across and that's going to work for us. I think under Bob Melvin, like you just said with the pitchers, the Giants should know every fifth day that they've got an opportunity to win a ball game. And I think that with Logan Webb, with Alex Cobb, with Kyle Harrison, potentially morphing into a really solid major league starter this year, and it may not happen right away, and it may not happen in 2024, but down the line, I think we both expect him to be that. You've got to give yourself a chance to win every day, and that starts with having confidence in the guy on the mound, and that starts with knowing who's going to take the mound every fifth day, which is something the Giants just didn't have. I think you know one of the great ideas about signing Yamamoto is – Fans can buy tickets for those games. Yeah. Fans can buy tickets when Logan Webb's set to pitch. You, you can market a junk Lee and you can market a Matt Chapman, and that might work out if you sign those players. But if you get ace caliber pitchers in a Blake Snell or a Corbin Burns, you can say to your fan base, every fifth day, more likely than not, we're going to win that ball game. And th- I just pitching, pitching, pitching with the athletic defenders is the ultimate counter with the Dodgers and the Padres have right now.
1: Yeah, my ideal really is Kyle Harrison is fighting for the fourth or fifth spot in the rotation in spring, right? Because (laughs) I I am the the world's biggest Kyle Harrison fan. I know he's going to turn into a good major league pitcher, possibly a great major league pitcher, but I don't want him coming to spring feeling like he shoulders the fate of this team. I want him to feel like he can contribute kind of way Logan Webb did in 2021 when he was not not the fifth starter kind
0: of lined up in spring. You want to talk about a great spring training memory. I mean, Logan <laughs> Webb. My goodness, that spring. he every, every guy, he struck out with the changeup. It was just the best pitch I've ever seen, and that was coming off of learning about Kevin Gossin's ch- uh, splitter back in 2020 when you just saw how silly that was. Logan Webb's changeup in the Cactus League is like, you know, World Series-era Madison Bumgarner sliders.
1: <laughs> you know, the other thing about,
0: uh, Kyle, not to
1: sidetrack us here, but he barely pitched last spring. He made like three appearances. He threw two or three innings. It was not really setting him up for success. I remember talking to him over at my league camp, like just a couple of days before he broke. And he, I think he'd hit three innings for the first time all spring that at that point. Yeah. And I'm like, how much are you going to be ready to go? And he's like, yeah, we'll do, we'll do what we can. Um, But he did not really get a great uh, launching pad last spring. And I expect that to be very different this spring. Uh, and again, a team that has him as a fifth starter is in good shape. Uh, but that's where it's all going to go. I think in the next, in the next week or so for the Dodgers and the giants and probably the diamondbacks too, is there's going to be a, a, an arms race coming, I think.
0: Yeah. I, and I don't know that I have a great feeling about Yamamoto right now, I may if the Dodgers trade for Tyler Glasnow. And that deal gets done because there's the proposed trade that I think Ken Rosenthal was talking about earlier in the day on Wednesday that would send Ryan Pepio out of the division to Tampa yeah. Bay. But Glasnow is set to earn $25 million. He's never crossed more than 120 innings in his major league career. And so if the Dodgers get him and they've added Otani, can you really afford the I, – I don't care how if you defer – $800 billion dollars in Yamamoto <laughs> deal, but can you really afford to add him as well? You know, so that
1: one thing that I think, and I've written a lot about the Giants pitching depth and, and how, how deep I really think it is, but one place where I think they are well positioned uh, bringing up Glassno, And I, I don't know if they're going to get involved in trade talks with him, but you yeah. deal with Glasnow Blake Snell, uh, even Yamamoto, because you never know how the six-day six, six day rotation to five-day rotation goes. I feel really good about the guys the Giants have uh, that can get you that extra, like, 60, 80 innings on top of 120 innings from Glass, or Snell. You, yeah. you, I mean, I don't necessarily want Tristan Beck or Keaton Wynn you know starting 35 times, but getting those guys to give you the 80 innings on top of Snell that gets you 200 innings. Well, that actually sounds pretty good to me. Um, yeah. and 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 that is a place where that depth I think is really going to help them this year. Um, but to me, that's that's the clear thing. They, uh, there needs to be. I mean, it would be great to get Matt Chapman. We've all talked about that two Really good starting pitchers, I think, is yeah. what, what we have to be going at at this point.
0: Yeah. F- fully on board with that plan. So my next question for you, Roger, <laughs> Giants have <laughs> Jung-Hoo Lee theoretically under contract before he passes this physical. Uh, they've got Michael Conforto. They've got Mitch Haniger. They've got Austin Slater. They've got Mike Yastrzemski. They've got Wade Meckler. They've got Luis Matos. Someone isn't on this team next year someone oh, yeah. and maybe multiple players uh, who's most likely at this point
1: uh so i was very recently having this discussion in a discord group i don't think it's easy to move some of the players they have because they have a lot of players who are projected to be below average major league starters and i don't think it's easy to trade below average major league starters at this point in the season uh especially who cost a lot but there has to be some movement off the roster just to prune a bit because you've got at least 10 of 13 position players right now returning from what was the worst offense in in the majors over the final three months of the year you just can't bring that whole group back. I think it's going to take some creativity uh, and some flexibility, but I would be working very hard to see what interest there is in several of these corner guys, whether it's Conforto, yeah. Davis, even Wade, who I think is really valuable, but I think I've said this before, between his his knees and his turning 30, I do worry if we've already seen the best of him. Um, Haniger, I would, Slater... Another guy who, you know, health was a real issue last year. And I think Slater is a guy that between Matos and Ramos, you know, maybe they don't have the greatest pinch hitter in big big league history anymore. But I think they can replace that value. So some way, somehow, I think they have to offload some of those guys in in whatever deals are coming. Yeah,
0: I I think that it's... It's not ideal, but you might be giving up young talent to go out and get yourself an ace. You you see how the market unfolds with Yamamoto. You see how the market unfolds with Snell. They've got to get one of those guys. They really should get one of those guys. Blake Snell, to me, if you miss out on Yamamoto, just overpay him. Just overpay him to come to San Francisco. Uh, He's from the Pacific Northwest, so he's comfortable with the climate. I think that you you get that deal done, and then you say, okay, What's it going to take Milwaukee for Corbin Burns? And if you have to throw in, you know, a Luciano and make it a a mega deal, maybe you get Adamas back. I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of Giants fans, I said that on on YouTube the other day, a lot of Giants fans were heavily criticizing me. But I'll tell you, Roger, 22-year-olds with back issues, those don't get better when you're 28 or 30. I can say that as someone who doesn't play baseball (laughs) and and has woken up (laughs) with back issues. Uh, So, you know, I, I think... You've got to be creative. Dylan Cease, it feels like the asking price is too high. Shane Bieber feels like a natural fit because mm-hmm. the Guardians are loaded with Giants coaches. I just don't look at Bieber as an ace anymore. Yeah. So where do you go? I mean,
1: if I were making a prep list, it would certainly be Burns at the start yeah, and then Glasnow, number two. And I mean, the problem with Burns is I don't think they have any inclination to move him without getting an overpay at this point in time. They might as well just see what they can do because they're Milwaukee and they're going to kind of retool a little bit, and then they move and move them in in the, in July. Uh, but he would certainly be my number one target, particularly with the local team angle. So you feel like maybe if you get him in, that you could resign him to a deal. Um, but I agree. I I, I don't think this is necessarily a time where you have to say we can't move young talent. I mean, moving unproven for proven is, is how the industry goes. It's part of why you have a farm system. It's a important use of a farm system. The Giants just signed as a minor league free agent, Yusniel Diaz, who you might recall as being the key chip in the Manny Machado deal, oh. you know,
0: 25, six years ago. That's how the, those deals was, go, man. The Orioles-Dodgers deal? The
1: Orioles-Dodgers deal.
0: Wasn't Bravik Valera forever giant in that? Bravick
1: deal? Valera was in, who's been with the Orioles like five times since yeah. then. Oh, <laughs>
0: um.
1: Dean Kramer was also in that deal, who turned out to be the best player the Orioles got. Um, yeah. Amazing. I, I'm not a hug your prospects guy. I'm a player development guy and I love all my prospects, but I understand that moving them for proven now value and letting them get good somewhere else that's part of how you use the farm system hopefully you make the right choices because you don't want to be the one who traded Fernando Tatis Jr. you know for for James Shields Um, but you know do you think the Dodgers sit around at night crying about how they traded Jordan Alvarez for a
0: yeah, I, I bet. I bet they sit around crying at night over that <laughs> one. I bet. I bet that's the only thing they sit around crying, <laughs> crying about. But trading Jordan-, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez for Top Fields is one for the record books.
1: Hey, I, let me ask you another thing. Um, to, uh, once again, I'll use you as my my native San Franciscan person on this. Famously, the Giants had the first ever Japanese-born major leaguer, but. Over the many decades since then, there has not been much of an Asian presence on the San Francisco team, despite the fact that we have a long tradition of Asian communities in the city. Yeah. Is that something that you think is cool, a, a cool aspect of the, the Lee signing and a potential Yamamoto signing? Because I, I think about like for Man- Fernando Mania, when when Fernando oh. Valaduena blew up in L.A., part of the. I mean, he was really good. But yeah. part of what made that sensational was the regional ties to Mexico and have a Mexican star. How important to you is it that that the Giants actually start turning towards Asia and bringing in those players?
0: I, I've said this from day one on the beat. Like this was a idea that I thought about constantly on the beat and it's why are the Giants not pushing their way into the KBO and into Japan to scout more frequently and sign players more frequently, even if they're just role players, because the idea of engaging a new fan base and not just over in Korea or over in Japan, but right there at home in in your community, it's a no brainer to me. It's getting people who may not come to Oracle Park excited about the idea of baseball, excited about seeing someone they identify with. It's representation. It's everything that really makes baseball such a worldly game. And and it's one of the reasons I love the World Baseball Classic. You see all these countries and their fan bases get into it. I always thought this is a no-brainer for the San Francisco Giants. You know, San Francisco prides itself on its diversity, and yet the team... I think I was covering a game at, uh, what's the ballpark? It was Truist Park down in Atlanta. I don't know what it's called (laughs) now, but the Giants didn't have enough player tickets to spread around to everyone who wanted to get their family to the ballpark because they had eight guys from rural Georgia. I mean, it it just made no sense to me. I know there's pockets of Georgia with incredible baseball talent, but I think I was talking to Hunter Strickland back in like 2018, he was like, I couldn't get my my best friend to the game. I, I you know, <laughs> every ticket was was scalped in the Giants Clubhouse. And yet you are, you know, you have the opportunity right there at home in San Francisco to build a fan base that may or may not be engaged or may be curious about getting out to Oracle Park. And as soon as you see someone who's worn the Korea uniform in the World Baseball Classic or the Japan uniform in the World Baseball Classic Mm -hmm. and someone who's shown up on social media timelines and someone who's young, vibrant, exciting, like a 25-year-old Jung-Hoo Lee is, like a 25-year-old Yoshinobu Yamamoto is, it's like you overpay for that because you're paying for the business that you're getting into right there. And I hope they do this elsewhere too. Like I, I hope they look at you know, markets that historically have been overlooked in baseball and they try and develop prospects from there because it it just, you know, if you only put your chips in the amateur draft basket and signing one or two big players out of the Dominican Republic when they're 16 years old, it's never going to work out for you in terms of a a business standpoint, in my opinion, unless you're a juggernaut that wins the World Series three times in five years.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, Jung Ho Lee is, it's not a star. He's not a star baseball player, but he's going to be a guy that this fan base really responds to. I bet you're going to see a lot of lead jerseys get get purchased. Uh, once once the signing is named for Christmas, people are going to get in lead jerseys. I think. And and it was interesting to me that Posey, in that article we discussed before, talked about the fact that those teams were not just winners, but Tim Lincecum and Pablo Sandoval were fun players to watch and that put a buzz in the stadium that was different and unique. Oh, yeah. um, and you can see that with Lee. I mean, if you watch his videos on YouTube, the swinging at balls at
0: his ankle and lacing you know, yeah. lacing doubles into the, that's fun. That's well, going to be he, fun. I, I have several friends who are San Diego Padres fans. And I will tell you that yes, they had Juan Soto last year and Manny Machado last year and Fernando Tatis, but their favorite player to watch was Hassan Kim. Because of the style of play, because he ran the bases so well, because he was yeah. a work in the field, and maybe Jung Hoo Lee isn't the athlete that Hasan Kim was or is for the San Diego Padres, but uh, he brings so many qualities to the table, like the Sandoval contact ability, yeah. where you're going to see pitches hit next year that shouldn't be hit, and they're going to fall for base hits, and he's going to take. You know, I, I saw a highlight today of Jung Hoo Lee where he you know, drill the ball into right field, runner from second coming home, and the throw sails over the cutoff man, and Jungkook Lee was rounding first base and never stopping. He was taking second base, and it's something the Dodgers have historically done against the Giants ever since I've been watching them. It's something that the Arizona Diamondbacks did to the Giants all season long. It's taking the extra base and playing the game in a way that resonates with fans, and no, jungle Lee's exit velocity is not going to be 112 miles an hour but if his batting average is above 300 if he's running around the diamond making plays in center field the people are going to love that you know kevin pilar classic example i made a lot of diving catches and fans love that were the metrics favorable no was he overall adding value to the 2019 giants Uh, you got a 10th place MVP vote from my friend, Henry Shulman, but there you go. (laughs) But but overall, people just love to watch excitement and Lee brings an exciting style of play. We want to watch
1: people run. I mean, that's part of having fun at the ballpark and part of, again, having different skill sets. Uh, And you mentioned uh, Kim, you know, who's best friend Lee and former teammate on the heroes it's going to be a free agent uh, not too far down the the line. So, you know, I wouldn't mind collecting a a couple of these guys.
0: It's why maybe, maybe Roger, real quick, you trade for Willie Adamas and Corbin Burns and you give up Luciano knowing that you have the potential to add a shortstop next year on the free agent market who's played for Bob Melvin and his friends with jung Hu Lee.
1: You know, (laughs) that is a viable strategy. I mean, absolutely. So I think we have decided that, the next time we talk, we are going to be talking about the Giants getting Yamamoto and Burns <laughs> and uh, and and lining up for the for the year. That's what we're going to say. No one spends spends
0: Greg Johnson's money. Better than
1: <laughs> and his prospects. We'll, exactly. we'll, just, we'll spend them both. Um, <laughs> and then we'll add Matt Chapman on top and somehow we'll offload a couple of
0: players. Oh, <laughs> play- I, I did. I did want to ask you real quick. Uh, stripling, D. Conforto, Hanniger. Any of those contracts unloadable? I get, huh? I mean, stripling essentially,
1: stripling and Conforto both announced that they were not w- worth their contract on the market, right? That's what yeah. an opt in does. Uh, Hanniger's got two years left, you know. Uh, Disco is an absolute no. I mean, he's almost a DFA guy for me. If he doesn't look healthy, it's I, I kind of say no. I mean, I don't know. Slater, it may be the easiest to move of the bunch. Uh yeah. really. Um, and Hanneker I would feel a little hesitant because I you gotta feel like he's gonna represent a little better next year, right? I mean, so you <laughs> don't wanna get rid of him as a, at, at a low value. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe Slater and attach him to like Davis, and then sign Chapman. Uh, something like that has to happen. I think.
0: Yeah. I like I like that thought about packaging an outfielder with Davis to yeah. get Chapman. That there's there's a team that could take that on. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's it's it is difficult. I
1: know guys on the uh, people on the internet always want to move players all the time, but what teams are doing right now in the winter is trying to line themselves up for this year and get this year's value. And if they're getting players like that, they're trying to get starters most of the time and that's a I think that's a tough call for some of these guys.
0: Yeah. I would agree.
1: Well, la we we accomplished a lot this week. So <laughs> hopefully next week will be as action packed maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, next week we're going to be talking about Yoshinobu Yamamoto's uh, 300 million in deferred money with the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> <laughs> and his uh, his uh, deal to become part owner after retirement. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Buster Posey opened the door, and he's going to kick it in.
1: Um. I, well, I. I mean, I. I hope we talk next week. If we don't, I will say happy merry Christmas to you right now, Carrie. Um, merry Christmas to you too, Roger. we are heading to the holidays, and uh, hopefully the Giants will get us some nice gifts. Perfect. <laughs>